If I'm gay here, if I'm just gay here, will you gay with me? We with can no come without no girls. girls. Welcome to Death Metal Dudes. We're back again. This week, we're going to dive deep into the life of Michael Alig, a.k.a. the Party Monster, in late 1980s to mid-1990s New York City. This guy was the reigning king. Him and his group of friends found a way to get famous off of partying. If that's not the coolest type of lifestyle you can live, I'm not exactly sure what there is. Now, this was an art collective of a bunch of queers, and I mean that in the LBGTQ queer type of way, that came together on the tail end of Studio 54, Andy Warhol, and all that over-the-top artistic decadence, and really found a way to make a killer living off of that until it all turned sour. And we're going to get into all that on this episode of Death Metal Dicks. You ready for it, buddy? Yeah, man, I cannot wait. And of course, before we get into that, we just want to tell you about the things that we plug, which is not a sponsor, it's Patreon. Patreon.com backslash Death Metal Dicks. Now, what that is, is an easy way to connect with us. We got extra podcasts on there. Uh, right now, I'm in the process of, before we started doing this podcast, if you're a new listener, me and Buddy started recording on my laptop and Facebook Live at the same time. So the Facebook Live ones that we would do, I would record on my laptop. So we've got about 12 episodes that have never been released. There's one of them on the Patreon right now, and I was having a hard time getting them up from my laptop into the computer. Well, I'm pretty much all the way done with that, so I'm going to start trickling those out onto Patreon. And they're hilarious. I mean, it's just a raw version of what we're doing now me and buddy with no rhyme nor reason or direction uh, we got the albert fish series we got some fun stuff over there so uh also on patreon you can get to a tier where you can pick a serial killer or a particular crime from your area that you want us to cover a lot of cool things all we're trying to do is keep the sponsorship type talk to a minimum so that way we don't have to bore you to death or let anything influence us just do our own thing we're diy guys we're metal dudes it's not an act we're just trying to keep that lifestyle going, and we want to bring you along, so we enlisted this Patreon shit to try to help us out. We want to get t-shirts, websites, all things that take money just to make our product more enjoyable for you, and to hopefully someday give us more time to make more product. Yeah. Also, the... What's wrong with my brain? Here yeah. we go. Just start uh, looping out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's hard to diagnose off top. Well, we are also... <sighs> a great way to help the podcast uh, that costs nothing is to get on iTunes and give us a five-star review. Not only five stars, but type a little something in there. doesn't matter what it is. We're not trying to feel cool. You don't have to praise us. You can make fun of us. You can tell us your favorite chili recipe. It doesn't matter. There's just an algorithm to iTunes that helps us climb up the charts, which helps us with certain things. You know, like we got approached by a, giant PR firm about doing interviews and record reviews and we've been working on that I'm going to put them both out this week for you to take a listen to and we'll have more in the future and that's fun as hell hopefully turn you guys on to some new music and also 
increase our whole audience. You can also just tell your friends about us because however you stumble upon this podcast, you're either into metal or into true crime or into aliens, conspiracies, the occult, Aleister Crowley, Anton LaVey. You're into some weird shit. And there's other people out there just like you into weird shit. And we all want to converge together. You know, that's what we're doing here. Right, buddy? Yep. So spread the word. Let's grow this thing out. And that way we can all make a giant train around the world where one end starts eating ass all the way to the other end of eating ass. You know what I mean? Well, that was way better than what I was going to say. That was pretty good. Man. <laughs> what were you going to say? So we're going to grow this thing. And I was like, I got dick. And then you just went into eating ass. And I was like, hey, that's way better because that's how I get my dick hard. That's where everything goes with me. It's just eating ass. <laughs> and it goes know, and I it just... goes back to the chili recipe thing. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You look like you've been in a chili cook-off. You're <laughs> sweltering down your face. You know, There might be a little corn in there. And, oh, uh, that corn video. Hey, what can people look up to find that corn video? Corn? Oh. Oh, you know the one. Uh, Life is Peach. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, the one where that you insisted on sending me where the girl crams her ass. Oh, yeah. The cob. I don't know, man. Just send me a private message on Facebook. I'll send it right on over to you. All right. If you want to see something real bad, and I mean real bad. <laughs> real bad. When I say bad. real bad, I mean about as bad as it gets. Hit up Buddy on uh, any social media platform, and he'll send you over the worst thing you've ever seen. Or actually, maybe we have something worse than that. If that doesn't, oh yeah, I got all kinds of crazy (laughs) shit. It's a real. Let's just say it's a real cornholio. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, All the holios do, man. I'll send it to Mark. Cornholios. Oh, he's slicing it. He's just like, no, no, please, don't, man. (laughs) Well, hell yeah, man. Welcome to another episode of Death Metal Dicks. Again, we're talking about Michael Aleg tonight. Now, Michael Aleg was born in. South Bend, Indiana, which like I was telling you before, he ended up with this party creative called the Club Kids. That doesn't sound like something that would come out of South Bend, Indiana, which is a small conservative town in Indiana, one of the smallest cities in the state. And this is around 1984 when he's coming out of high school. It's a repressive area. He had a real weird coming up because Everything I looked through didn't say for sure if his dad was gone, but it didn't indicate that it was. And then taking a look at how weird his goddamn mom, Elkie Alig, is, I got a feeling no man hung around that shit. Her parents are fucking weird. Who the hell names our kid Elkie? Elkie. Well, they're German. That's what I found out. That's oh, like okay. a German. Elkie Alig. But that's, that is like, if you had to make a German noise, that's her name. Elkie Alig. Whoa. Jeremy, that sounds like a meatloaf and egg noodle type of scenario. Yeah. Oh, you have the egg noodle tonight. Mm, delicious. But yeah, so South Bend, Indiana, um, he totally repressed, he's obviously gay, totally repressed his sexuality all the way through high school. Him and his mom were best friends, and I always get weirded out by those relationships. I mean, good on you for being tight with your kid. I think there's a difference between being real close with your children and being like your kid's best friend. That's always a weird dynamic, right? Like with someone that hangs out with their parent all the time. It just drives me nuts because it's it's you're not doing what they need. You don't you're not doing anything that they right. fucking need. You're not you're giving not them being structure. A yeah, you're being a friend. You just want to make sure that you're. And it's like when you uh, the with a kid. I mean, so when someone's like ten and eleven, and you're being their friend as an adult. Again, I'm not saying don't be friends with your kids. What I'm saying is, is that the relationship that a 10 and 11 year old kid have with each other when they first meet, how far each one of them will go out of the way just to get a friendship, you know, like they will conform 
because they're growing. They're not used to interacting with humans all the time. They don't know how to make a friendship, so they just kind of contort themselves into what they assume the other person wants in a friend, and the other person does the same thing. So when your parent does that sort of behavior where they don't want you to be mad at them or argue with them, they're not firm with you at all, and they just completely make themselves like a damn 10-year-old to hang out with you. That's going to fuck you up. They used to watch grisly-ass movies together. Now, this is like, again, the early 80s that he's coming into being a teenager. So when I say grisly... I mean, you know, you got Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but they were watching, like, the art Grindhouse 60 yeah. movies, you know, like uh, Bathe in Blood, Gorgor Girls. Right. They're, like, bad special effects, but really trying to give the visuals of mutilation. Yeah. You Wizard know? of Gore, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, it again, it's shitty. It's like Suspiria. <laughs> it's like that bright pink blood and, and clearly meat and animal bones, but they're giving you the idea of mutilation, gore, yeah. murder in a way that's a lot deeper than your Texas Chainsaw Massacre, for example, or the Dawn of the Dead. I mean, those were nothing compared to the movies that they were watching together. Yeah. Which you had to go out of your way to find those movies too. Imagine especially in South Bend, Indiana. Like he had to take his mom to the closest artistic video store to rent these things and then that was their favorite thing to do together admitted by both of them. Huh. That's not the best way to raise a 10 or 11 year old. I wouldn't think another thing that he had going on is he was a hustler from the get go. When he was in elementary school, his mom would take him to the discount store in town. Um, Aldi, which is still around. They sell food for cheaper. He would get the cheapest candy bars that they had and then bought his own price labeling gun and would, make the price if it was 25 cents he would make it a dollar so he would make four times profit on everything take the candy to school and sell it and he was the only kid that was doing anything like that at all so he was making tons of money and then his mom in an interview was talking about how she thinks the principal made him stop because the principal got jealous of how much money he was making that's so stupid well it's just give i'm laying the ground for what a distorted growing up that he had because of his mom his mom really didn't do a great job here. I mean, you'll see how it goes along, but she was just bending to his will. And what that does to a person, I think before we even get into the whole thing of him, that he was a sociopath. Oh yeah. For He's sure. got that. You know, when you talk to somebody who is antisocial or a sociopath and they, they try to speak to you like they're talking to you from the heart, like they're speaking into a fucking TV camera all the time and they try to make a deep connection with you, but you could tell there's something real off and superficial about what's going on. I think that he was bred into that by his mom, always trying to placate him, letting him do basically whatever he wanted to. Yeah. And then when the school tried to discipline him, she would be on his side and go against the school. That's just a recipe for enabling a personality like that to just grow and grow and grow to be. And those type of people can be some of the most creative people. Yeah, they really are. The thing about this too is, is with somebody like that, when you tell them no and you mean it, that's a great way to piss them off. And then they'll really show you their true side. They don't like being told no. Right. right. You know? And his mom knew that. So she avoided any type of conflict like that, which is only going to make those feelings and reactions so much gnarlier in the future. Yeah. So Michael is a straight A student, 
doing wonderful in school. He ends up getting accepted into a small university in New York City. He had several scholarship offers, but the first one he found in New York City, what the people around him said is that anybody that was a homosexual in rural America knew that they were going to go to New York or Los Angeles, just like a comedian. (laughs) Oh, you want to... Be with someone of the same sex, huh? Well, you got to come to New York and hit the open mic circuit and then work your way up. Same thing, I assume. Hanging out with comedians is one of the smelliest things I've ever fucking done. Yeah, they're the worst type of person. It's like, uh, they're all new metal people. That's the thing, man. All comedians that are like our age, that aren't into the same shit that we are and came up like a punk rock way. Not even necessarily punk, but they're just like a normal person. They've been incubated in some sort of environment where they just stayed a new metal kid. Yeah, <laughs> they're just all listening. They they all love Mudvayne too. If you bring Mudvayne up, they're probably now listening to Sufjan Stevens or some of that goofy shit. <laughs> but as soon as you give them the option of listening to Mudvayne, they'd be like, "Oh hell yeah, man! This is what I was into." Yeah, like, yeah, we fucking know, man. You're a new metal kid through and through. Look at you. <laughs> you were still what, wearing ponies and shit. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the New York that he was coming into. Is 1984. The picture that I can paint best for you is that most of what you see now is the tourism part of New York is just hell on earth for anyone that's not living there. It would be a total culture shock. Not only is it densely populated, on top of being densely populated, it's just a free zone. You know, cops don't really go there. There's open drug markets. There's gang violence, which is not an American mainstay at the time. There's all types of weird art shit going on. I mean, this is the peak of Andy Warhol and then Andy Warhol's crew, like uh, John Michael Basquiat. I think I said it's John Michael. Everyone with two names and John is always John Michael. So I'm gonna. It may be John Paul. It's either John Paul or John Michael, and that is literally. Everybody with John and then another name. So it's got to be one of those two. But anyway, Basquiat. And he had a whole crew of people that had kind of gone down the artistic pathway that were just celebrities that had come out of the art world. So everything you had CBGBs, you know, you had these giant, thriving punk rock. And now in the 80s, hardcore scene. So you had tons of punks and skins living in the Lower East Side and all over downtown New York. And then you had what came out of studio 54 what i found interesting about looking into this is everyone knows what studio 54 is right yeah 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 it was only around for 11 months yeah it was a it was a pretty fucking crazy ass short period of time man lots of drugs and fucking shitty disco music and yeah well it's it sounds like it was around for the entire 70s but you know studio 54 if you're not aware Giant nightclub, bigger than any that had ever been before. It was disco music. Now, basically what happened with disco is that people figured out that you didn't have to have a band play it live. You could just play the dance records and play different songs back to back to back, and people enjoyed that as much, if not more, than a live band playing. It didn't have to be as loud. You could also party and then have the music going on in the background. So... In New York at the time, again, a lot of people were drawn to this type of movement that Andy Warhol had. You, so many celebrities came through at the time. You know, celebrity artists, actors, millionaires from other shit. They were just 
drawn to it. And a lot of them lived in New York City anyway. So this nightlife shit, people started doing cocaine. You know what I mean? Staying up late. You didn't get tired at fucking 11 p.m. from drinking since noon. You started blasting coke and you could party all night. So cocaine was the norm. Everyone was blowing lines. That shit was just in the wide open at Studio 54. People were fucking in the open. And out of that culture rose a group of people that you would call begin become known as celebutants. Yeah. And what a celebutant was, and this is the goofiest shit of all time to me. But so you go to Studio 54 and the idea if you're a normal person is that you want to go and get fucked up with a bunch of celebrities. You want to see famous, you want to see Andy Warhol, you want to see Leonard Cohen, you want to see fucking Billy D Williams, whatever celebrity is around. You want to be seen with them, you want to shake their hand, you just want to see what type of shit they're up to. People are the same way today. If yeah. you know somebody famous if, if you live in a small town like we do, like in Little Rock, if somebody famous is somewhere, people will start posting about that shit and people will show up to where they're at just to see them or be around them. Never anything I've been into. It's an absurd idea, but you know how people are. That's how life is. People want to be around that level of success and just get a glimpse at it. Take a picture with them, anything that they can. So in that scene became these people that were making outfits that were just completely outrageous. you never seen anything like it before. They were face paint costumes, just outlandish types of behavior and dressing. And those people basically became celebrities within that system. So they would be the people that were hanging out with the famous people, but also going and drinking and being on the floor and doing cocaine with everybody else. So if you were the regular person who just wanted to be a part of the nightlife, you saw those people as much as you saw the celebrities and you saw them with the celebrities so that basically made them, in that particular scene, a celebrity. Then that's the word celebutant. So a debutante, from what I understand, is like a a girl that is ready to date. And so her parents present her to like the community dressed up in a beautiful dress. And it's like, you're going to go on a dance and a date and meet people. That's China. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what it's like in China. It man. sounds like some weird shit. I mean, I think that was just some 1950s American shit. But they combine yeah. the two words, and then bam, there you have a celebutant. Now, other shit that was going on, especially after Studio 54 closed, all these freaks needed somewhere to go to. Now, once Andy Warhol died, you saw a complete shift in the culture there. And it's not that Andy Warhol was the piece that held it together. It's this party scene had been going on for 10 years. You can only keep this shit up for so long. And especially if you have tons of money, you're going to get bored with doing the same type of thing over and over again, move on to something else. But all the fucking freaks that were hanging out all the time, you know, blowing lines, taking cool drugs, getting ripped, enjoying life. They had to keep that lifestyle going and move it somewhere else. So what you would see in New York City is that they started being like these warehouse type parties. And they originally started as like S&M clubs. There would just be warehouses you could walk to any time at night in New York City and see people tied up, getting smacked around with whips. Probably Rob Halford in there, pain-killing a motherfucker or two. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And then there was, in Times Square, just pornography theaters, like those st- the Jack Shack. You know, Jack you could go man. in, toss a few dollars, and then before you could watch porn on the screen, there'd be a dancing lady rubbing her coot, and you would just jack off to that for a couple bucks. You know what I mean? All that shit was alive and well in New York City. That's the type of environment we're walking into. I'd be bummed. I wouldn't even be able to jack to that. I'd be like, go ahead and fire up the porno. Yeah. Well, I don't, again, I don't think, I mean, so the, the I went to a jack shack 
right when I turned 18. Me and one of my best buds, Adam Husher, turned 18 around the same time. I'm going to bring him up twice in this podcast. I know he listens, so I hope you enjoy it, my friend. Old Who's out there. He's in a pretty good punk band called The Nobodies. They're uh, they're fairly well known, picking up some steam. They're they're good. Anyway, so we both turned 18 around the same time. We'd never been to a porn store before, so we decided to go to an adult arcade. I don't know exactly what it is. We go in, we're looking around, we ask where it's at, we go into it, and you see what it is. You put money in it. I put it in, and the first thing that comes up is this gaped asshole and these two mustache dudes like going back and forth on it. And then I figure out you have to like flip through channels because I'm like, whoa. And then there's like lube and a trash can and tissue and shit in there. And I'm like, oh, I know what time it is. And so I started watching porn and I sit in there and jack off in the thing and throw the, didn't use the Kleenex, just squirt it on the floor. You know what I mean? As you yeah, do yeah. when you're having fun in 18. You should have kicked it up a couple notches and pulled <laughs> that bag out of the trash can and started huffing it while you're jerking <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's the the only time I've ever been into one of those. And uh, yeah, it was something to do when you're, what, there's not a lot you can do when you turn 18. You can like go to the strip club, you can do that, and you can buy smokes, which I didn't when you smoke. When you huff the Jack Shack fucking trash bag and jerk off as a fucking Hoover or vacuum cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> That's so. There's that Gen Kim that is. What is that? When you like store your shit up in a container and then put a balloon on the top of it and then huff the shit fumes. Yeah, I guess, man. You never heard of that? No. That feels like something that you would definitely know about Gen Kim. No, I don't know. I'm gonna check it out. Yeah, you're gonna check it out by trying it. So uh, let me tell you how to do it. There's no reason for you to look it up online. You might as well just give it an attempt. You like getting high on weird shit, so you shit into something that a balloon could fit over. A lot of shit. And then you keep the balloon on top of it. Once the balloon fills up with gas, you just pop the balloon off and huff the fumes, and it fucks you up. It's like shit whippets. Yeah, yeah, man. All right. You could probably do the same thing with cum. Only one way to find out, you know? Oh, God. So this is what Michael Ailig is walking into, and that's got to be paradise. I mean, there's going to be an adjustment period because you're basically the only gay kid (laughs) in South Bend, Indiana. And he is... Totally private with his mom. That's another weird thing about his mom, too, is that in the latest interview I saw her do, she was still acting like Michael being gay was a disease. She's like, oh, Michael was very good. and He he even made this outfit and took a girl to the homecoming dance like he put the act on. But, you know, his condition... They're calling a condition and shit, you know? It's like, if you... And she... We'll talk about later how much she loves him. If you're like that, why are you being such a fucking weirdo about him being gay? I mean, so just the, stupid, the whole thing makes no sense with his growing up. His mom's a goddamn psycho. That's why you don't name someone Elky. This is what happens to him. You got to give it a good name to your children. It's important. <laughs> yeah. So he arrives on this scene in New York City, and it's the end of this era. You know, they're trying to figure out kind of what's next. And no one's saying that. It just is a natural progression. I mean, people want to party, and then people are even going out to the few clubs that there are just to hope to catch a peek at the celebutants. Again, they're the new celebrity. People want to see this shit. And if you just look it up, you'll see their outfits were crazy. I mean, like Marilyn Manson, Lady Gaga, that type of dressing is a total ripoff of what they were doing. Yeah. Um, and, and then this group that we're going to talk about progresses that even more. But at the beginning level is what kind of kicked this whole thing off, is that people were showing up looking to see some weird shit. Yeah. I do that all the time. 
often. That's all. <laughs> I love doing stuff like that. And, and then also the music started to shift a little bit because again, what I was saying with disco is that post giant arena rock, you know, you had the stripped down side of CBGBs where you just had hardcore bands playing in your face music, no frills, no bullshit. I mean, that was really the whole thing about punk rock and especially going faster and getting harder is that they were just sick of all the music on the radio. It's like we could do our own shit just as good without involving any of the record companies, any of the extra steps. We're going to live this lifestyle. They were starting to do the same thing with disco because you didn't even need a live band to play. So you could get the disco tracks and then mix them together and make your own songs, which is where, you know, DJing came from. And that, of course, led into hip-hop, breakdancing, but on the white side of things, <laughs> it led to, like, EDM, house music, house music, Ugh. techno, all that weird shit that I've never understood or been a part of before. Except the Prodigy. I liked that when I was a kid. Yeah. I understood it, man. Trade my pitch up. Smack my bitch up. <laughs> man, the only time I understood it was, uh, I fucking, I fucked my back up one time, but I was in Dallas at some weird techno bar. With my buddy Trey, and he was like with some stripper girls, and they and like I couldn't walk hardly because I was all fucked up and shit. And yeah. this girl goes, "Here's some muscle relaxer," and I take it, and it was fucking ecstasy. And my big ass is fucking dancing to techno music about an hour later, and I'm like, "What's going on? I'm hot. <laughs> I'm hot in more ways than one. I need some water." And I'm like in the bathroom, fucking jerking off and fucking drinking water, man. And just you were jacking in the club, dude. I had to, man. It was. <laughs> what I was, do you mean you had to? I was so fired up. I was just ready to go, fuck, dude. And I came like five times in like ten minutes. Like I just stayed in the bathroom and jerked to fucking whatever the hell. Whatever house music is going, I don't know anything about house music, dude. But uh, it, ladies and gentlemen, don't take Buddy Lloyd to your raves. No, don't. <laughs> He's going to jack in the bathroom five times. <laughs> yeah, or I might jack on you and you look like a cheesecake. How'd that even work out? You just kept jerking off? Yeah, it didn't go away. It was like the horniest I've ever been in my life. It was fucking <laughs> terrible. I hate talking about this. Was, I don't need, I mean... <laughs> So, Michael Alig starts coming around, and he starts to fit in with this group of people. Now, he is at that... You know when you find something that you love. You don't know that you love it yet. You get the idea. You fall into it. You kind of get a lay of the land. You see what other people are doing. You try to fit in with that, but also come up with your own thing. Yeah. We're talking about a kid that was hustling candy bars at school. The wheels in his head start turning, and he comes up with the idea of starting to put on his own individual parties. So what he's doing is taking what was all contained within one club, Studio 54 type of situation, where every night is a crazy night. Sometimes David Bowie or Andy Warhol would put on a themed night. Yeah. Like, we're all going to do this. People would get the message beforehand. Everyone would dress up like a certain thing and they would show up. But that wasn't the regular, you know? Like, maybe if there's a holiday or some shit. So, what he did is he started making individualized parties at these clubs. So, he would take this group of people who had their own identities, their own celebutant thing going on. And the benefit that those people got is when they went to clubs, they were good for business. So, they would get free drinks free drugs, basically whatever they wanted just to keep them around because that would bring all the people out because they were the cool thing to be around. Yeah. So he used a smart business mind to capitalize on that and then to get them to do what he wanted, he started giving them money just to come around. 
That was pretty goddamn smart. Pretty smart, but also, the, you know, regular-ass business. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, And then this guy, Peter Gation, notices what he's doing because the parties that he's throwing are huge. And they're at already established nightclub spots to start with. This dude, Peter Gation, owned a couple of nightclubs. He sees what he's doing. Also, being a great businessman, he decides to go ahead and enlist Michael as a party planner for his clubs. So they start this whole scene. Now they're taking disco songs and they're mashing them up in a way that hadn't been done before. Uh, DJs start coming around and playing records one back to back to back, speeding up tempos, doing different things <coughs> with already recorded music. So you kind of have the birth of electronic music. People have a certain way of dancing. And of course, with all that shit, drugs start to come in. And what's funny about Michael Ailig at first is that when everyone else was already taking coke and getting drunk, he was totally sober. Yeah. When he first came around. I mean, he had just come out of a small town high school. He hung out with his mom all the time, so they weren't getting fucked up. It just wasn't something he had been around. So, again, when you're getting the lay of the land and trying to figure people out, he was like a militant straight-edge kid. He would take people's drugs and flush them down the toilet and tell them they needed to stay sharp for the night. Wow. But then he would act like he was drunk to kind of feed into the party vibes. I mean, he's a smart... Again, that's that antisocial sociopath line, is that you will make yourself conform to the environment that you're in to sell yourself for whatever reason. Exactly. Because you know that there's some type of gain to be had by it with you fitting in, you know that you're going to be more successful for sure. A chameleon, man. Absolutely. Boy, George. Yeah. I'm become a chameleon. (laughs) And then another scene that was going on in the other side of town was the beginning of raves. So believe it or not, these two different, introductions of electronic music were totally separate. You had raves, which were all kind of native New York, working class people. They would go to a warehouse and play really fast music, get jacked up on cocaine, get jacked up on ecstasy, which was a brand new drug at this time, and just party all night. And then you had this going on. And so when he found out about the other scene, he started to circulate the flyers to the rave scene. And that just made this explosion. It brought everyone that was into late night partying dance culture into one place. And this guy, Peter Gation that owned several nightclubs had a genius idea where he bought an abandoned church, a huge church and turned it into this club called limelight. And that's where this whole thing really got its kickoff. Michael Ailig was in control of all the parties. So he, they, at one time they say that Peter Gation had 900 employees between the four clubs, but most of them worked at nine. It was like a four story industrial party complex. And they had like a S and M room, um, new wave room, an electronic room, a rave room. And a lot of clubs are still following that formula. I mean, there's even one in little rock, just like kind of every type of party in a different room, a different scene for someone to go to. And you can wander freely among everything. So you would see all types of crazy shit, you know? And Michael is now, the man, you know, all these people, he had been the new guy and come into the scene and then risen to the top of the whole thing because none of them were organized. They just partied. They planned their outfits. They showed up. They got free drinks, free drugs, and that was enough for them. But he wanted to capitalize off of what they were doing and make tons of money. So he did that. And then he, again, was like the God. And so now he's paying everybody money. Now he starts messing with drugs. The first thing that he tried was ecstasy. Oh, shit. Which, as you explained, and ecstasy, man, I've had a couple of uh, experiences with it, and it's a man, it's a, it's an okay drug. I mean, you get a real euphoric sense, 
you're not as much out of it as you are with a lot of things, but you you can get wrapped up in one thing. I didn't like it. No. It was not my thing. Um, I'll tell you a story that allegedly happened because incriminating and everything we talk about with us taking drugs is yeah. always a satire, it's always you know, it's yeah, not it's really happened. So, uh, I was doing shows with my buddy, Dave stone from the boogie monster podcast, him and Kyle Kinane. And we got done. We went and sat down and this guy comes over and he's like, man, you guys made me real happy tonight. I'm going to make you guys happy. And he handed us two bags and Dave's like, well, what's this man? And he goes, uh, it's Molly. And Dave was like, all right, thanks man. He took off and Dave was like, man, I'm going to take this shit. You take this one too. I was like, all right, cool. Kind of tucked it in my pocket, forgot about it a little bit. And then uh, I asked one of my friends that does a lot of those things, like, man, how do you take this shit? Do you just snort it? And he was like, man, you can, but it wrecks your septum. It hurts fucking bad. So I don't recommend that. What I like to do is parachute it, which I had no idea what that was. That's putting all the powder into a piece of toilet paper Mm -hmm. and making like one of those snaps that you throw at your little brother on the 4th of July to piss him off. And then just swallowing that thing whole. So I, oh, had, I thought it was you were shoving up your ass. No, That's, you just swallow it. I mean, you could boot it, but I wasn't about to cram something up my ass. That's the best way. Yeah, I would. I would you know, give him the chance again. So anyway, I take this. Sh- <laughs> the like, old Kentucky like, coffee filter. Yeah, man. like I know I've got the two bags, and I take a picture of them, and then uh, allegedly, and I take the thing, and I go and sit down, and uh, I sent my my friend the picture, and he's like, "You didn't take that much, right?" Because I told him I just. I'm doing both bags like this. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, dude, that's like six grams of Molly. Oh, shit. And I was like, all right. I mean, I've taken enough psychedelics. Um, I mean, we all know my bad experience with uh, several grams of mushrooms. But anyway, um, I'm like, well, fuck, whatever, man. So I Google on my phone, like, how long does MDMA last? And it, the first post that comes up says, the first time I took MDMA, it felt like it was never going to end, but I fucked up and took half a gram, which is way too much for your first time. And I go, oh, fuck. And I run <laughs> to the bathroom and start trying to puke that shit up and it wouldn't come out. And I was like, well, I'm fucking in it, man. Like, that's just it. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I was just like at my house, you know, like my kids were gone, but Jackie was there. Oh. And we put on this weird movie called The Love Witch, which is a kick-ass movie oh, if you great. haven't seen it. They just made like a... 2000s version of like a, ni- a 1960s cult movie and they yeah. use like original like every prop is handmade it's a, it's a cool movie especially for that because yeah. the colors are bright and everything's fucking weird as shit and I'm just over there grinding my jaw and she looks at me and she's like are you on something right now and I'm like uh huh <laughs> just fucking I didn't black out but I did, like re- remember watching the whole movie and just being fucking way too fascinated with it Jesus Christ and then uh, going to bed and just grinding my fucking jaw and sweating and seeing colors and shit for hours and then fucking woke up the next day like man that was pretty cool <laughs> God, you're fucking lucky to be alive yeah brother. man I'm always wilding out dude I gotta keep that shit allegedly <laughs> under control but yeah that's the first thing that he takes you know and once this scene starts going the drugs start coming in and again being a very smart businessman, Michael capitalizes on that shit too. Now, I say he took ecstasy first. Well, right away he started doing cocaine, started doing special K ketamine. The ketamine is a wild drug, man. It, I don't have experience with it, but I've known people that have. Supposedly, it's really cool by itself in a controlled environment once you get used to it. But they, these guys, talk about getting caught in a K hole which is what happens when you don't know what's going to happen with it, where you're just lost in a fucking void. And all the videos, they made a lot of videos of them talking to each other in the club, and everyone's just totally out of it. So they're mixing as much shit as they can, dude. They're doing acid, MDMA, ecstasy, 
which is similar to MDMA. I know uh, crystal meth, cocaine, heroin, all this shit at the same time. They're just putting combos together. So everyone <laughs> is starting to get blown out of their fucking mind, you know? Um, this club at the time, Michael's main night, Disco 2000, is where he did his real weird parties. That become it's on Wednesday nights, not even the weekend. It becomes the number one night for the club. It's the huge party night in New York City. I mean, this is like the number one thing to do in New York City, the busiest city in the world, during the week on a Wednesday night, and it lasts till like five a.m. <coughs> and uh, the first scam that they pull is that Michael starts going to costume shops and giving them fake names to rent costumes, keeping all the costumes. So they've got a motherfucker dressed up like a chicken. <laughs> they've got someone dressed up like a hippo. Just all these crazy costumes on top of crazy costumes. And then what they start doing is enlisting drug dealers that come around. So there's people that are in their crew already that are acquiring the drugs and then Michael sees them as a valuable asset because not only can they sell drugs for money, but Michael can use them to increase the popularity of his parties by guaranteeing that everyone there is going to get drugs and serving drugs to people. I mean, and it was all underage kids. And at the time, again, cops didn't come around a lot, so no one gave a fuck. So he's got this crew of drug dealers who are just walking around dressed as goofy shit, passing out drugs to kids. Just a wild time to be alive, man. Everyone's having the most fun that they've ever had. And, you know, of course, this is going to breed problems with drug dealers because they want to get paid. And now that's another thing is that Peter Gation is doing tons of drugs and always has been. Huge cokehead, old school cokehead, wilding out with these guys. He's an older dude hanging out with young kids, but more on a business end from him. But he's still getting fucking blasted on cocaine all the time. And it's all around everywhere but they're willing to pay for it. They know that everyone there is going to spend money. They're going to be way more inclined to spend money with their inhibitions lowered. So why not pay a drug dealer 5,000 bucks for the night when everyone is going yeah. to spend a hundred thousand bucks that night? You know what I mean? And that's real shit. People on a win, they would gross a hundred thousand bucks on a Wednesday night. Yeah. I mean, well, you- Dude, addiction's a motherfucker, man. I mean, dude, you get a bunch of addicts and they're actually having a good time. They're not just like sick or they're having a great time. They're getting sick, you know what I'm saying? And then they're fucking uh, just having the wildest. Dude, they're going to spend everything they got and be sad about it, but they were just, they like they love that shit, man. Yeah. And so to grow out these parties, he takes these celebutants that all wear crazy outfits, crazy costumes. And the first way they start to get popular in what I would call the mainstream is they start walking around New York City and handing out flyers. So you just run into this group of what you would perceive to be freaks and want to wonder what's going on, get a flyer for the party and show up. And they came up with a cast system amongst them. You had the A team, which is free entry, free drinks, free drugs. That's the crew. You had the B team, which is you weren't quite part of the crew, but you were cool enough. Maybe you had drugs. Maybe you had a cool outfit. Maybe you were sexy. You got in for free. And then you had the C group where you had to pay to get in. You still had to be like quantifiably cool because there were so many people trying to come in. There would often be a thousand people in the street just trying to come in, which brings in the D group where if you're just a regular person, you're going to stay outside all night, just hoping to come inside and party with these guys. And then the next move that he makes is they start having outlaw parties. Which are hilarious. You can see the video. It's kind of goddamn cool, man. It's cool as hell. So what, what he does is he takes these people... And they just start having parties anywhere. They organize it and they show up and 10,000 people flood where they're at. They did one in the subways. 
You know, and police just have to show up and look at it because there's too many people to do anything. And they just crowd the whole thing. They got boom boxes going. <laughs> They're all blowing fucking huge lines of drugs, taking all types of shit, pounding liquor, dancing all over each other, crazy costumes. And then that just brings up their notoriety. They go to a McDonald's and Michael goes behind the thing and tells the manager, here's enough money to buy out everything you have and starts throwing food out to everybody without cooking it. People are just eating fucking raw McDonald's apple pies and hamburgers and fries. Oh, yeah. It's just insane. They're doing it like a fucking uh, donut shop and they're like sprinkling fucking cocaine on donuts and eating it. That's so wild. Yeah, it looks like a ton of fun. I got no ill will against these guys. If you can have that type of fun and that type of level and also make a profit out of it, you're cool as hell to me. Yeah, I mean, it would just be cooler if they were fucking thrashers, though. Yeah, yeah, like a big gang of thrashers. Crack them suds. Yeah, man, they just break into a YMCA and they just go, here you go, man, and then you're just fucking down. We got a keg of Hops 45 just waiting to get punctured. But yeah, that shit was wild. Like he had brought his mom up just to party for a weekend, and she was getting tooted up, and he was pushing her around in a shopping cart and shit. It's just, and he was just crazy, man. And everything that he did, though, again, he was so smart in using that as throttle to get more and more popular. He gets it so huge where they start going on these daytime talk shows that we've talked heaps of shit about in the past. You know, your Maury's, your Geraldos. All your Lisas, all that popular stuff. They go on Geraldo. And this is the birth of RuPaul. RuPaul is one of these kids. RuPaul is still famous today. You know, I mean, that's a huge celebrity. Yeah. But she comes on the Geraldo show with all of them. And Geraldo's trying to do, like, the, the dynamic of talk show in the early 90s where they're just, the talk show host is this sassy provocateur trying to judge everyone that comes on their stage. Did it with them. And they were pretty smart, you know. And they it's they're funny to watch still to this day. I haven't seen that yet. I'm going to watch that shit. It, it's funny. I bet it's awesome. It's hilarious. And so they're the funniest thing about the Geraldo one in particular to me is Geraldo, you know, again, ecstasy is a new drug at the time. Geraldo tries to ask every single one of them what ecstasy is. And like, none of them will tell him. And he's like, Oh yeah, uh-huh, you don't know. So uh, what about that ecstasy stuff? You'll tell me, right? You RuPaul, you've done Ecstasy telling me, and he's like, I never did, or she's like, I've never done, actually, you know what, here's another cool thing about RuPaul, is that RuPaul is a he, to RuPaul, that's what RuPaul claims still today, Yeah, he's not with that shit, you know what I mean, the pronoun thing, which I don't give a fuck about, it's just funny to see, well, it's 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 different among uh, drag queens, right, 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 so I actually worked at a gay bar but RuPaul's for a bit. gay, yeah, so what they do is, is this is the way I was explained to, because I actually, when I worked in the bar scene, I worked at a gay bar, and the drag queens explained to me that whenever they're in drag, they wanted to be called she's, and they actually got to use the women's bathroom and did all this other stuff, and so whenever they were out of drag, they were they were he's. And so it's not, it's not anything that has to do with transgender, it's just like, it's like they put on a show, but right. for that moment, they're just doing, you know, it's right. satire, basically. Yes. But it's, and they really play the role, man, I mean. Well, that's what I'm saying, is that RuPaul... I know he's, whoa, whoa popping a Grolsch. <laughs> That's a powerful, <laughs> woo, party boy. Uh, busting my fucking diet up on everybody. I've just had a good week, man. I feel yeah. like cracking a couple of cools with my bud. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, man. Hell yeah. Um, but yeah, RuPaul is like the OG. You yeah. know what I mean? Like as far as being openly in the limelight as a, what I would consider a transgender person. And he's like, fuck all this new shit. You know, <laughs> like I'm a he. That's the way it is. And I'm not saying, I don't. Not saying that whatever you decide is bad. I'm totally with this shit. Whatever you want to fucking be, 
do whatever you want to. Yeah. I, I got no problem with it. But RuPaul is just an old salty dog about it, man. He's, yeah, man. It, I, I think RuPaul is cool as fuck. Like, the stories about RuPaul's legendary partying, all the crazy shit that he's done is... They're probably one of my favorite musicians. I'll just be honest, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, put out some banging fucking hits. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, this is where the area starts to get a little bit dark because now the limelight's on them, so people start to figure out what's going on in the downtown section of New York. And right about this time is when Mayor Giuliani gets elected. Now, Rudy Giuliani, the most I knew about him when I was a kid is that he was on Saturday Night Live a couple of times. Well, it turns out Giuliani is the reason that New York City is the way it is now. When they when he was doing those jokes on Saturday Night Live about cleaning New York City up, he really was. They were using like brute force police tactics yeah. to get crime off of the streets and get the CD element, which is what everyone loved about New York City, out of there and build up more gates for tourism and the average family to come and spend money there, which I guess is great for economics, but it's a bummer for one of the greatest art communities of all time. Yeah. Something about just scummy people and scummy atmosphere littered with some like good people and that you could take advantage of. And like that whole thing of like, you've been able to watch it and just like seeing it. It always like really does breed like a whole different atmosphere of people or it's there's art people. There's the gay community. There's the, the Puerto Rican gangs that are selling cocaine and there's people staying in abandoned houses. And that's really, that, I mean really the hardcore scene in New York was just, that's why it was so fucking awesome. Yeah. Cause they took that whole thing in and like turned it yeah. into this music, you know? And it's always been, I mean, we've always been able to party with anybody. Yeah. And that's always been man. like the ties that bind. It's like, okay, well you can be whatever you want to, whatever you have going on in your life. That's what you have going on. But if you're going to hang out with us, crack some beers, do a few drugs, party with the boys. Like, it yeah, doesn't man. matter. You're you're one of us for the night. You know yeah, what I'm man. saying? Remember when we went to, uh, we were in Hawaii, and we went to a karaoke bar. It was like a gay karaoke bar, and we're singing Slayer and shit. Oh, and yeah, then, that shit like, was so fun, man. And this dude, like, started talking shit to us, and then we realized he was just trying to fuck. And then yep. by the end of it, we were like, nah, man, we're not gay, dude. And then we just partied with everybody. We partied with, we him, partied with everybody, man. We loved it. It was awesome. That's all we ever want to do, man, is party. So as long as you can get on the level and get loose, you're one of the boys tonight. Doesn't matter age race gender sexual preference you party with the boys you're one of the boys you know what i mean Hell yeah and that's what was going on in new york city now giuliani i'm sure is watching these tv interviews to get an understanding of what's going on obviously there's drugs involved now to the new york city police side's credit gangs had infiltrated this culture because they saw a way to make quick money i mean they were openly doing drugs in these clubs you had the people that were working for them handing out drugs but the gang members saw an easy market to just show up with drugs and sell them to people wherever they could. Now, they didn't like that because they had their own in-house drug dealers, but there's nothing they could really do about it. So it just became part of the thing is you had these gangsters showing up, pushing their products, sometimes getting in scraps with people. Really interesting way of life down there at the time. And But then that gives cops the excuses to start busting everything up. And it got so bad to where police were showing up to these clubs in plain clothes and just walking 20 of them out on the dance floor and just standing there so people could not party. You know what I mean? You can't party around a cop. And they knew that, so that's how they started busting up parties. And really one of the biggest tragedies of this whole thing to me is how this Peter Gation dude got treated because, sure, he's banging a lot of drugs and I'm sure he's not exactly morally scrupulous. I mean, he's hanging out with a bunch of young kids and fucking them all the time. I'm sure. 
That's only an assumption, but that yeah. guy was making millions of dollars off of his own hustle. He's Canadian, and they tried to pinch him on all types of shit, you know? And yeah. they he, they ended up just ruining his business, and just because they weren't getting enough of a cut of it. It's like you're trying to clean up this element of organized crime because they're gaining money without you being able to get in their pockets, but then you're also doing it to a legitimate businessman. Yeah, yeah. It's just that type of bullshit that makes America always super annoying to me. And once they start getting really into heroin and Special K is when the main group of these guys starts falling apart. I mean, when you're banging drugs like that, it's hard to make sense out of anything. And when you're partying until 5 a.m. and then sleeping until 9 p.m. and going back and doing the same thing, there's a point where that moves from partying to an addiction. Well, yeah, it moves from a party to being sick. And so it's it's not how do I start my day off? This way, you know, cook breakfast, take a shower. It's fucking, I got to bang some drugs because I'm going to be sick. And then it's trying to figure out the rest of that and how to be normal around that. And you can never, and it doesn't work that way. But, but they really do try to do that shit. And that's the way drugs work, man. And especially opiates because you opiates. get sick, you know, yeah, that's sleep you, all the time, get barfing. that dope sickness. You have to get another fix of it. Yep. And then that becomes your driving force. So everything else that did matter to you only matters if it can get you more heroin. Yeah. And that's what Michael is succumbing to now. And now we can enter Angel Melendez. You can enter him? Yeah, he's entering the picture. He had seen them on Geraldo. He was actually one of the people on the latest documentary I watched, Glory Days, described him as a hardcore kid. <coughs> he was hanging around CBGBs and all that shit, but he was a gay dude. So he was like a tough guy. He sold drugs. He was Latino. Uh, he was selling drugs like down on the docks, like yeah, yeah, literally yeah. selling drugs for money. So he that's was fucking, like, a, "That's fucking hard, man." Yeah, he was like a tough kid, but he was also gay, you know. Yeah. So he came around and saw these guys. He saw him on Geraldo and wanted to show up, you know. He came in, and then he he wasn't like one of the cool kids, you know. He he didn't have the outfits. He didn't have the same swagger as everyone else. Again, he's just like a tough guy, which yeah. isn't like the norm in the homosexual community. I assume, not in this group for sure. These are, when I say flamboyant, I mean, they go out of their way to put together elaborate outfits, makeup 24-7 to look like, the only way I can describe it as someone who hasn't seen it before is yeah. Lady Gaga, you yeah. know, just ostentatious, giant clothing. That so, man, here, here's a really good uh, documentary that's actually on Netflix right now that kind of, uh, almost like everything you've just talked about, but with a different guy, this is about a uh, PR guy that worked for a record company, it's called The... the Documentary is called "Who the Fuck Is That Guy?" Oh yeah, and it's uh, it's pretty cool. It's a guy that basically like signed Metallica to a bigger label and yeah. going to Chromag shows. And he was in New York, and he was a gay guy. And it's a really fucking awesome documentary. It's really good, but uh, that that kind of encompasses that whole atmosphere around that time period. Yeah, so. yeah, one of the most interesting time periods of all time to me. So that's yeah. why I wanted to get into this. And so. What's fun is as Michael starts to go down, he starts to bring out his real interests. His parties start having like gore based themes. Mm. Just they would show up and, and they, they would have like raw meat all over them to look like they had been cut up. He's just basically remaking his favorite gory movies that he watched with his mom in public. The brought in people that were trying to get hired by him to do their acts on stage. There was a person that drank their own pee. Nah, man, I want to go to this shit. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> so awesome, they just man. got up on stage and shot piss into their mouth, and then they tried to figure out how to top that. So you had this drag queen that came in and gave herself a champagne enema. Tight. 
Yeah, I saw Wait, the video. Somebody butt chug it? No, no, no. So there's a video of it. She shakes it up, crams the bottle in her ass, lets all of it flow into her ass, and then sprays that boy all over everybody. Damn. Yeah, and you could tell that she had enema before because it's a nice clear stream, man. Really considered, I would say. Oh, man. And then Michael's behavior is getting erratic. He comes down with hepatitis, and he's, like, pissing on people. First of all, he's standing on balconies and hanging off and peeing on people. He is peeing in bottles and walking up to people and being like, here, drink this. And what's weird, another drug that they do all the time is Rohypnol. Roofies, yeah. they're just doing that on purpose. Like, in like you just drink a little bit of it. So they, oh think they're, they think they're about to take Roofies and it's just his piss. And so he thinks that's hilarious and people are getting mad about it. So to make them not mad, he comes up with this game called the Wheel of Hepatitis. Holy shit. And it's like you spin the wheel to figure out who you got hepatitis from, and then they tell you like how that person probably came in contact with hepatitis starting with his piss. It's like a gay Gigi Allen, man. Yeah, dude. Fucking he's awesome, wilding out. Man. I think dude, Gigi Allen was gay as fuck, man. Nah, he, dude, he didn't give a fuck. He, he fucked would everything. Fuck everything. Exactly. Dead he was animals. wilding out. What this all reminds me of is, again, I'm shouting out my friend Adam Husher. When we were coming out of high school, there used to be this club in town called Industrial Nation. Yeah. They did... Metal shows, the hardcore shows, but also they had a night of the week called Fetish Night, and it was just that. Like, it was just all types of wild shit. Now, we caught the downturn of it, but, dude, the first time we ever walked in there, this girl was butt naked and getting saran wrapped to a cross. And they were, like, trying to hang her up from the inside, and just all types of freaky gosh They're shit. fucking filming a ministry video in there or something. Yeah, shit. yeah, dude, and just blaring loud industrial music, doing, like, the, <coughs> the slow goth skank. <laughs> Damn. The funniest thing that ever happened to me there is we were walking up one time, and we would bring new people to it all the time. They'd just be like, you gotta check this shit out. So we're like walking up to the door and the kids like hearing the music and he's like, I don't know if I want to go. And it's like, no, it's cool as fuck, dude. It's just like all these goths doing weird shit to each other. And this guy walking in next to us goes, hey, it's not goth. It's gothicistic. And then, you know, Michael's spinning out of control. Peter Gation is able to foot the bill for all of his drug use. And again, all business related, you got to keep this guy alive because this is who's bringing the people in. Now that he's making these freak shows, it's getting more popular than ever. And so he, they're doing this weird shit. Like they're having vacations. They take a break and they just rent a different hotel room every night and are doing as much cocaine and heroin as possible until they pass out, which can't uh. be healthy for anybody. And just to give an idea of the environment of how people behave about things like overdoses, at one point Michael overdoses and clinically dies, but... Peter, his best friend and super rich guy, th- has to flush all the drugs before they can call 911. So he's laying on the floor turning blue, and they can't call 911 until all the drugs are flushed away. Yeah. So then, you know, almost near died for forever, and no one wants to talk to cops. I mean, that's the enemy at the time. I understand that. That's going to play into where we go from here. So Angel is basically the main drug dealer for this crew now you got angel and you got this guy freeze they're the two main providers of drugs angel more so because he had already been selling drugs for a living he's got the connections he funnels it all in and he will bring the drugs people will use them and then they'll pay him for the drugs so one night they're all out partying freeze and michael are living in one of peter gation's apartments they get a call from the concierge downstairs saying that Angel wants to come upstairs and talk to them. They go ahead and let him up. It's 1030 in the morning on a Sunday. He starts demanding money for the drugs that he gave out the night before. 
he wants like 3000 bucks. And they're like, guy, it's 1030 in the morning. We just partied until 8 a.m. Like, let us, yeah. let's all take a nap and then we'll wake up and go to the club. Peter will give you your money like normal and we'll go about our day. And Angel's like, no, fuck that shit. I want my money right now. And they're like, we're not going to go anywhere and get you money. And Angel's like, no, you're going to give me my money. And so Frieza's like, hey, man, shut the fuck up. No one likes you. You're an outsider. You're a fucking poser. You just came around. Then the only reason you saw us on Geraldo after we had been doing this shit for like 10 years already. So don't try to come and be everyone's friends. You're only allowed around this circle of people because you've got drugs. And then Angel says, fuck you. Is that true, Michael? And Michael says, well, dragging his feet. And Angel's like, tell me the truth, Michael. Am I only your friend because of drugs? And Michael's like, yes, you're only my friend because of drugs. Now shut the fuck up and let's take a nap. And at that point, Angel jumps on Michael, smashes him through a curio cabinet. The cabinet breaks. A giant piece of glass stabs Michael in the neck. They're fighting on the ground. Angel rushes over and is trying to break him up. Angel, I'm sorry, Freeze rushes over, is trying to pull Angel off of Michael. Now they're all three in just this gay circle. Like, you know, when like a fight happens on the Garfield cartoon show and it's just like a circle. Yeah. And it's like feet coming out and dust everywhere. I imagine it looks like that. Like, none of them can fight except probably Angel's the toughest one. But there's two yeah. of them and one Angel. So Angel is now biting uh, Michael, who's bleeding heavily. And Freeze is on top trying to pull Michael off. And he reaches back and is looking around and grabs a hammer, smacks Angel in the head with a hammer three times, you know, which is probably going to kill most people. But they don't know what's happening. They start, Michael says that he uses a sweatshirt to try to choke him to sleep. Freeze says it was a pillow. They try to do the thing where someone's trying to catch their breath and they're holding it on your mouth so you yeah. know you suffocate because you're unconscious and then that doesn't work there's a rumor that they shot him up with Drano through needles there's also said that they poured Drano into his mouth and taped it shut Michael and Freeze both disagree with that version of it the Drano comes into play later but they say that he was dead and they were so fucked up on drugs they didn't have the cognizant idea that he was dead after being basically probably being hit with a hammer in the head three times killed him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. that's like we learned with the John Monet story. It doesn't take a lot to do enough trauma to a human skull and brain to end their life. Um, and so they try to revive him is what they say. They're trying to do everything they can to wake him up. But at the same time, you know, uh, Freeze is like, we should call the police so we don't get in trouble. Michael's like, no, because Angel's got 50 vials of angel dust on him. I'm sorry, not angel dust. Heroin. Uh, he's got two ounces of heroin, two ounces of cocaine, 50 vials of special K on him. So they just start using his drugs and they're trying to wake him up. And supposedly they run a freezing cold bath <coughs> and they figure if they throw him in the bathtub, he's going to wake up. They throw him in. He doesn't wake up. So they trying to figure out what to do. They just bail on the apartment. They just get the fuck out of there. Leave the body. So, Supposedly, they came back the next day, saw that he was not dead, poured Drano and baking soda all over the body, and leave the apartment again. Now, they bail in the apartment for like a week. (laughs) All their shit's there, you know, it's probably starting to smell god-awful, and they just have to come to terms that they gotta do something. Well, they get back to the apartment, and now, you know, rigor mortis is set in, the body's decaying, 
Yeah. And uh, there's the, Michael says it decayed on the bottom, not the top yet. So, like, there's Where the water this, is. Yeah, there's this rot and nasty shit coming out of the bottom of the body. And they're like, well, we got to do something to take care of this shit. So, what the idea is now. The, this is where the two stories conflict, and the way I'm going to tell it is, like I always do, I'm going to tell it down the middle, how I figure it really happened. Freeze went to Macy's and bought two giant butcher knives, came back. They went to get heroin. They got enough heroin that they were either going to overdose or not remember what they were about to do. Yeah. So they blast a ton of heroin, cut his fucking rigor mortis legs off, because they have this box, right? Yeah. That's the whole thing. They have a giant box, and that's how they're going to get the body out. But he can't be bend. He can't be like compressed to be put in the box because he's stiff as fuck. Yeah. So they cut his goddamn legs off with these knives, put his body in the box, take the legs in the middle of the night, throw the legs out, put the box in the living room, put a cover over the box to hide the box, and then continue to have people coming over and fucking shooting up and partying for another week. With this nasty decomposing body, and people were like, "What's the smell?" And he's like, "Oh, it's just the sewage. Don't worry. Let's toot this and blast this K and rip the heroin." And so everyone's like, "Yeah, fuck it. Let's get fucked up. It stinks, but whatever." <laughs> and then finally, they both call a taxi. The taxi cab driver picks them up from the apartment with the box. They ask the taxi cab driver to help them throw the box into the river, and so they go through this tunnel. They get to the other side of the tunnel. They ask him to stop right there. They have him carry the box and throw it off. The taxi cab driver's like, what's in the box? And they're like, it's like, oh, dishes and shit we don't care about. They then have that taxi driver drive them back to the same apartment, same taxi driver who's already asked questions, and drop them off. So, in other words, they're fucking idiots. Oh, yeah. That's so fucking dumb. And when they throw the body in the water in the box, they're... Think, of course, like, it's going to sink and that's going to be that. But they didn't poke any holes in the box. They didn't weigh the box down. So the box floats. Well, it floats not only because there's a body in it, but it also floats because of the gas. It's yeah, being released exactly. The body, if they so. would have poked a hole in it, it would have been fine. Yeah. But it's just out there floating. And then it probably would have blown away to sea, but just as luck would have it, there was a tropical storm going at the time, so it came back up to the shore. Oh, my God. So the, the cops find the body almost right away. And they've got no clue. I mean, you just have yeah. a body that's old and fucked up, and it's a kid that's a drug dealer, so it's not like... It would be easy to identify anyway. No missing persons report. Missing his legs. They're just like, pretty much fuck it to start with. Now, here is where the person that I've been describing is pretty smart the whole time melts away into a fucking idiot, basically because of drugs, you know? He keeps Angel's cell phone, starts answering calls on Angel's phone. Wow. He starts selling the drugs that aren't heroin to get more heroin. And on top of that, they're like buying new furniture and shit. That just sounds that sounds more like a mental breakdown than being an idiot, though. I mean, yeah, dude, there's that. But also, <laughs> he's being a fucking idiot, too. I mean, it's all dumb. There's a yeah, lot yeah. of I mean, it's all fucking dumb, dude. Well, they, I know I know that like uh I watch I watched the shockumentary Party Monster or whatever. I know that he calls his mom and like says something yes, about like it, that'll Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool. No, but yeah, he does. I mean, he he is having a breakdown. Like he you know, is having to come to terms with there being a murder. Yeah. And it's not something that is easy to process and definitely not in a drug addicted, totally addled mind taking tons of psychedelics. So yeah, I mean, might as well say it now he gets wrecked one night and calls his mom and just spitting a ton of gibberish tells 
his mom the whole story of what happened as he's sobbing and crying. And, you know, she's doesn't call the cops or anything, of course, because that's her baby boy. Um, so it's been a few months and then every like it becomes this mythos, like also people overdosed all the time. I mean, everyone's doing heroin, so people are dying left and right. If Angel just came up missing, that's not that big of a deal in itself. And also, everyone around them is so fucked up on drugs, they're not even thinking about it, you know? Yeah. But it becomes this legend. It's like, Angel's gone, and uh, <coughs> this dude, again, the way his brain works, by wanting the attention for everything, yeah. it, whether it's to be just to be the cool guy or for personal gain, kind of starts dropping hints that he killed him. Yeah. And that just becomes this legend. Now he's like maybe a murderer and he's still doing these weird parties that people can't figure out why he's doing them. He throws a party where the flyer is someone's skull cracked open, showing a brain with a hammer on the floor and blood in it. You know, I think, man, I think there's a, there's a, like a, a fine difference between like when you watch this, there's a difference between uh, somebody who's a psychopath where they can't stop killing Whereas this is like uh, this killing happened just by circumstance and this person is a sociopath and enjoys the attention of it and they're also a drug addict. So like the whole drug addict situation along with the psychopathy is like this, this like it, it encompasses the whole situation along with his death. But it's not somebody who likes to kill. You know? Right. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So. No, I totally understand. And also, there's only one way to know. You know, he's also a boundary pusher. He's trying to push yeah. the line on everything. I think he wanted to see what it was like to kill somebody. Well, and also, yeah. I mean, I do too. I, I think, you know, it makes him look, you know, all the things he's done, it makes him look like he is the psychopath. Exactly. You know? And that's kind of his MO. So it's not that the case has died at all. It's just that the people around him just think it's kind of one of those cool things about Michael. And they don't really actually think it happened. You know, yeah. they think he OD'd and he, Michael's trying to make himself look like a, a, a fucking psychopath. And then Angel's family starts coming around. His brother starts showing up, asking everybody questions, coming to the clubs, passing out flyers, hanging him up. $4,000 reward. Have you seen Angel? I haven't been able to get a hold of him. I need to find him. I know this is where he hangs out at. I know his friends. Like, please help me. And then... He tries to go to the police. The police are like, you want us to look for a drug dealer? Like, no, we don't give a shit. And then the whole thing gets blown wide open because this guy that's been hanging around him the whole time is a reporter for the Village Voice. And he's done a lot of shit to make them popular, like yeah. writing article. He's basically the nightlife guy. So in his nightlife column, he writes the story of what happened. I mean, he's a reporter. He knows how to investigate things. He just hears about the body that washed up, how the legs got cut off takes all the tidbits of things that he's heard, and, and because of their bragging and boasting and talking about it, all these details have slipped out. They, they, they have said that they hit him in the head with a hammer three times. Well, the body that police found that was in the paper said that he got hit in the head with a hammer three times. He writes a little blurb about it, the legend of a killing in Clubland in the Village Voice, and then that gets picked up by the New York Post. Yeah. The New York Post puts it on page six, which is like the big yeah. crime thing. And so the police officers who had originally investigated the murder just see the article. That's it. Yeah. And the guy had named everybody, laid the whole thing out. And he was, he's like a tabloid writer. He still is. He's famous. I can't think of a stupid name. He's right always now. on like VH1. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't even yeah. know him. You'll know him if you see him, but he totally snitched him out. Which it whatever it's a good article, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's his job. So I it, mean, that's exactly what Michael Ailey would do, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
but that brings them down. That's a wrap. That's it. So now they're looking for Michael. Michael and Peter kind of get wind of the sour environment and they bail to Denver. They take six bags of heroin, which of course is not enough for these addicts to be able to get across the country, especially when they're trying to drive it wrecked on heroin. Shit. So he runs out of heroin. They stop in South Bend, Indiana, of course, where his mom lives. He hasn't seen his mom in three years. They reunite, but he's going through powerful withdrawals and he can't touch her. He's crying. And, and she's like, what have you done? Like, how, like, what can I do to help you? And she ends up having to call an ambulance to take him to get methadone. <laughs> wow. So he ends up staying there for a week, taking a bunch of methadone, kind of getting where he's even keeled out enough to travel to Denver. They go to Denver and the same thing happens. Out of drugs, needs drugs. They break into a veterinarian's office, try to steal drugs out of there. They're going through everything. They can't find any special K, any painkillers. So they open this freezer. He... Reach, Michael reaches in and pulls out a nasty dog corpse, and they freak out and get out of there. So now they're out of drugs. They don't have a connection in Denver, and they're just like, fuck it, I got to go back. And he ends up <coughs> staying in New Jersey, and he's there for another three or four months. He starts trying to throw parties again. The this dipshit. Is just, this is just, uh, this is the uh, exact symptoms of a drug addiction. Yeah. It's uh, I, I can't get drugs. I'm, I got to get away. I did something really fucking crazy. Right. I can't go to prison for. But I don't have drugs, so I've got to go back to the place I'm in trouble for <laughs> yeah. so I can get high. i got to get these drugs, man. Yeah. So that's it, man. Once they go back, they're looking for him. He ends up getting arrested. And he lucks out to start with because the prosecutors are basically like, look, if you give us Peter Gation, you walk. We don't care about this fucking kid dying. You give us Peter Gation and his drug source, bring him to us, and you're free. But somehow this Michael Aylid character won't do it. Really? Yeah, it's amazing because it seems like the move he would do. And what he says is that they wanted him to lie a lot, you know, because Peter, they assumed that Peter was a drug dealer. Well, he wasn't. He was just making tons of money from throwing big ass parties. (laughs) Now they had drug dealers there, but Peter was not dealing drugs. And that's what they wanted Michael to do is just lie and say he was dealing drugs. Again, they're just trying to bring this businessman down, dude. He's making tons of money and it's pissing him off. So they want to take him down and they can't do it. So because the original plea deal was offered and he tried to cooperate, he just said he wouldn't lie. You can't get mad at him for that. No. He ends up getting the offer for a way lesser charge. I mean, he for sure, I think, wanted to kill this guy. Yeah. The story about self-defense, I mean, it just doesn't jive with me. No. The way it happened. I think that they did get in a fight with each other, but I think he set it up like that. He's definitely a manipulative person. I think he brought Angel into a hostile situation and fought with him to make it seem like self-defense. And then they smashed his head in and found a ton of drugs on him that they didn't think he was going to have. And so they didn't call the cops. They just tried to deal with it their own way. Or maybe they knew he had the drugs. That's why they wanted him over there in the first place. They're going to kill him and take the drugs. I mean, that's just... Yeah, there's a bad... It could have gone a lot of ways, but I think they intentionally killed him. So he should have gone down for that. But he doesn't. He gets manslaughter. And he ends up serving basically the max on manslaughter 17 years free gets out of jail in way less time for good behavior so michael was a problem in in prison too you know and he had a rough go at it you know he had gotten raped a few times and and he like snitched on some latin kings so he was in protective custody and then he was in solitary confinement for five years i mean he just had a, a rough ass time in prison was there for 17 years and basically 
the police closed Limelight. Once they closed Limelight and were actively going after Peter Gation, trying to catch him on drug charges, they couldn't pin anything on him, but eventually they caught him for tax evasion, which you could really do to anybody that's running a cash business. You can say whatever you want to. There's no proof on either end. And he didn't get in trouble. They just deported him to Canada. So they totally ruined this guy over the whole thing just because they were greedy, you know, which is whatever. But just like the Andy Warhol thing, just because Andy Warhol died didn't mean it was the end of that era. He was not just the gatekeeper for that. Same thing here. I mean, you're at a point where this is, you can't keep doing a ton of drugs all the time and partying for fun for years, you know? No. You got addicted people. It's just not attractive anymore. So that whole scene falls, man. All those clubs close, and then that's the total rebirth of the Times Square you know today, where it's just in a t- completely tourist area. There's no porn, no S&M, no CBGBs, no nasty, dirty element in New York City anymore. The only thing there is just hard to pee over there, you know? There's <laughs> no public. You just have to pee in front of people because there's no alleys to duck behind. It's just a big old talking about New York? public. Yeah, it's yeah, just a New big old public a, toilet, man. New York is like a big old jawbreaker of scum. It's like each layer gets grosser and grosser <laughs> as you keep going down, man. Lower East Side's pretty rad, but it's probably the fucking grossest. Yeah, man. <laughs> just the grosser, the better. But you know, and of course, the way the story ends is just so absurd to me still because after 17 years in prison, I mean, countless stories have come out of this. I mean, it's interesting as hell. That's why we covered it. And there's been books written about it. Party Monster, the movie with Macaulay Culkin, Seth Green, Marilyn Manson. A great movie. Yeah. And there's plays that have been made about it. So it's an enterprise. And, of course, he capitalizes on that. He gets out of jail. Uh, he, when he first comes out, he's trying to do the whole, like, oh, I want to show people that there's a better way than this. They shouldn't be living their life this way. And starts making money off that motivational shit. And then is now make, doing parties again and making money off that. And he has got more Twitter followers than I do, which is ridiculous. Did he, I thought he died. Didn't no, he die? No, he's not From, like, dead. hepatitis No, or some dude, shit? he's still alive, okay. man. It might be just a rumor. He's rich right now. He's got tons of cash. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, it, he's a sociopath. Bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. You, you find a way to get it, man. You, you find a way to get it. And he has. And uh, I don't know. I don't think he died, dude. I'm pretty sure he's still alive. I, like, I want to say no, somebody. His, his Twitter's still active, man. Like, I looked at his Twitter yesterday. Well, whatever. Yeah. And, and even if he died, which I've been wrong on here plenty of times, uh, he still got rich off of the, the, the yeah. cycle of the yeah. same shit again, which is, I mean, what a country. You know what I mean? You can make something out of nothing. You can make tons of money off of making drugs cool and partying and then still alive. I mean, shut the fuck up, buddy. He's still alive. Confirmed. Uh, no, oh, but but no, but you can make tons of money off of just being a weirdo that parties and takes drugs, and then kill somebody, dismember them, go to prison, get out seventeen years later, and then just get rich for the same shit again. America, yeah. And that's it for that chapter of things. Now, a couple of changes at the podcast. Well, really, just one change. We decided not to read lyrics anymore. I think it's hilarious. Buddy has a struggle with it, but. I don't care. I like doing it, but you know, hey. hey, how about this? We can either keep you. You tell us. We can keep doing it. We can do it on YouTube, or you guys can hit up Buddy and maybe throw him some cash on Patreon, and he'll read something <laughs> privately for you if you really are into that sort of thing. But you know, we just always try to get better. Sometimes you got to make changes, uh, but we still compare a gnarly crime to a song. We'll play the song and we'll tell you about the song. What do we pick this week, Buddy? We got Dismember with Pieces. 
And Dismember is a great, one of the original Swedish death metal bands. Yeah, they are the, I think that they are the innovators of the whole, like, uh, using the HM2 pedal for that, that gnarly chainsaw fucking grinding fucking... Yeah, it's, like, really popular now. You got, like, yeah. the, the new bands, like, Nails and, uh... I mean, like, you know, you think about, like, early Bathory kind of had that yeah. feel to it, but they took it to the next step, you know? Yeah. There's actually a cool video with, uh, I think it's Daniel Eckeroth. He uh, is showing how they do it. He goes, it doesn't matter what fucking amp you got. He's like, if you got this pedal, you just turn all the knobs all the way up. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, and, it's, yeah, man. And, it, and it really doesn't because it's heavy as shit. I yeah, mean, sounds great. When you listen to the song, you'll, I mean, the guitar tone will kick in and it'll just fucking blow your brains out. Yeah, so we'll still have the clips from that. We encourage you to check out every artist we recommend to you. Uh, we've been interviewing people and reviewing records. We got videos up. Of our interview on Facebook, we're trying to get it sorted out with YouTube because we used part of we used the song and we have permission to use it, so we have to figure out that whole shenanigans. And but that'll be on YouTube eventually. Um, and it's a pretty cool video. We did some pretty sweet shit. Yeah, I mean, me and Buddy wanted to make a different record review than everyone else was doing, and we do everything head first. So we just took my phone and we were gonna go to a cemetery, and they're like, "Yeah, you know what, dude? Let's go to the abandoned medical arts center." And we broke in this old surgical center. I, let's clarify. We didn't break in. It was already fucking, uh, there's, it's already open. And there's like, you know. Okay, well, we definitely weren't supposed to go in there. I mean, and, somebody broke in and like pried the window open. But There's like, definitely we, people that live there too. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, but not us. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, no yeah. one's supposed to live there. No one's supposed to live but there. But basically, it's just like a well-known drugged in. And the record that we reviewed is Hari Carey for the Skies, new album Arson. And it's a lot of... Uh, Tones of drug use, depression. So we yeah. just broke into a bleak place, made a record review, and then we played a song as we kind of filmed the area. Anyway, I found out that uh, uh, past president Bill Clinton used to live in that building back in the day. Yeah, I imagine so, man. So. He probably was partying up there, fucking cramming swishers and coots and stuff like uh, that. Yeah. That's what that boy do. Uh, yeah, uh, we're, we're doing all that stuff. We're expanding, so we're gonna. I'm going to have... These two interviews up for you in the next couple of days, so enjoy those. Um, I want everyone that listens to our podcast to bully Sam Talent. Kick his if you see him in public, kick his ass, flick his fucking ear in some cold weather, and then bully push that son of a bitch. Get your friend to get on all fours behind him, and then push his ass over. Look, man, here's the deal: push him into trash cans. If you guys don't know Sam Talent, he's got it way too good. He's been on Comedy Central, writes for Vice. America's cool guy. Everyone loves him. Well, when people are on that level, sometimes you need to get their fucking ass kicked. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's wearing Nike Monarch shoes. He, you know, he's he's like a third wave me at this point. He's just doing all the shit that I thought was cool four years ago. And so I think we just smack this motherfucker around a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Sick your goddamn dog on his ass, man. Just yeah, like somebody bite the can. hell out of him, man. Hey, he's got a podcast out now called Shining with one of my other good friends, Dave Bory with a G. G-B-O-R-I-E, if you want to search him. Hilarious dude. He's been on Conan O'Brien. Uh, their podcast is called Shinin, S-H-I-N-I-N, with Sam and Dave. Look that up. What you should do is go to their review section, five stars, and talk about what a piece of shit Sam is. Yeah. Maybe hit him with a bully Sam T. Definitely let him know you came from us. Tell him that we said, fuck you, Sam. Talk some shit to that moron. Let him know that we mean business. Now, give them a five-star review so they can keep their podcast going because I want them to get out more and get the shit smacked out of him all across America. You know what I'm saying? He's a funny, 
piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's the old fucking Sam. We, we're tired of your bullshit, Sam. We're coming for you, and we're going to hit your fucking comment section hard as shit this week. You know what it's I mean? It's like Gold Dust and Undertaker. We're going to whoop your fucking ass. <laughs> and fuck your fucking ass. Yeah. He's got a big old fucking ass, dude. Well, he looks like a fucking... <laughs> he looks like a Goomba from fucking Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> And then, yeah, you know, if you like this podcast, man, we love you guys listening. First of all, that means more than anything to us. Just the amount of listeners we have, the interactions we have with you guys. Don't be afraid to talk to us on any social media outlet. We're all out there on everything as Death Metal Dicks. Our individual accounts are there. Easy as hell to find. It's in the episode description of every one we put out on iTunes. If you want to help us out, that would be tremendous, man. Easiest thing to do that costs you nothing is just get on iTunes, give us a five-star review, type whatever you want to in the comments, to fuck Sam Talent, whatever you want to put there. That helps us on the business end tremendously. That's just the way that iTunes algorithm works they want to see interactions that's what brings you up in the charts and that will help us out a ton in the long run when we're trying to show other businesses that will give us money the type of heat we bring to podcasting and if you feel so inclined we got a lot of really great people who have donated to us through patreon we got robert henderson we got uh the bradshaw sisters we got jeffrey ross we got ryan parker uh, fucking tons of people, man. And I uh, kind of blew it on names this week, but we shout you guys out every week because we love you. It means so much to yeah. us. I mean, just being able to interact with you guys because we made a podcast about metal and crime rules. And the fact that you're willing to support us is incredible. We love it. There's any, everything helps. A dime helps. And if you don't like a subscription service like patreon.com backslash death metal dicks, which has tons of rewards, and you really want to further the podcast you can hit us up on paypal deathmetaldicks at gmail.com venmo k-r-i-s-t-o-f-e-r is how my goofy name christopher is spelled last name pierce uh man we would just appreciate the shit out of that it helps us tons we're working full-time jobs diy podcasting out here being rebels you know what i'm saying against the mainstream eat our ass america we're doing it our own way as always, we had a great week with you. This was a super off-the-path story for us, I thought, yeah. and it was a ton of fun. So we'll catch you freaks next week. Look out for those interviews. Um, let's uh, You know what? To, to, to talk about Satan, something I've been thinking about a lot lately is uh, mastering your life, which is really what Satanism is, is yeah. being in charge of your own path. The idea is to reject spirituality and take on the carnal, work for yourself and not another master and a lot of it really has to do with imagery like how you present yourself so you know you you know you look at your body type you figure out what kind of clothes fit you know it's usually maybe some like goofy ass trench coat shit with some combat boots <laughs> as you know you fucking listen to some weird ass carnival music and grow some goofy ass mustache man and eat a lot of pussy and uh you know like you, you get it get whatever you need to do it's just how you look it's how you present yourself and so you're able to sell yourself to somebody else and they will believe your bullshit that's a good point, and it is all bullshit, and the easiest way to start mastering your life and get everything you want out of this world, you could call it chaos magic, you could call it whatever you want to, but you got to start controlling the things you can control. If you've got a huge goal like we do to become famous comedians, to have huge podcasts, to be able to do this for a living instead of any other type of jobs, you got to start controlling the things that you can control. Easy shit, like cleaning up your house taking care of yourself, 
things that you can master, if you start doing those things every day and making a practice out of it, that's going to have a ripple effect in your life that's going to further your goals along. If you take care of everything that you can take care of yourself, the big things which you have no control over are either one, going to come well within your power, or just because you're such a master of your life, when you get thrust into the situation, you're going to be on top of it and you're going to flourish. Start small. Guys, wash your goddamn balls. If you're fucking yes. over 200 pounds. And you're fucking whole too, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, wash you your fucking hole. up. Get in there, you know what I mean? Don't worry about nobody about, oh, he's got a loofah. He's a single man with a loofah. Who gives a fuck, man? Take that thing, soap it up, cram it up your hole. Get that thing squeaky fucking clean. When they say squeaky clean, it makes a literal fucking noise. Squeak. And that's it, guys. Take care of yourselves. Master your life. Hail Satan. We'll see you next week. Yeah,